Super great to be with you guys this morning. Those here, those online, good to be with you. Uh, oh, why don't we have the kids go? All right. Uh, so, kids, you have a class to go to if you would like, so you may go now. Mm-hmm. Don't want to fail to release the kids. That would not be okay. They were, uh, you know, the not quite as important as the kids, but the other thing that I think does deserve a mention is, uh, is with the sandlight. Did, did you see on there that there are hot dogs and bacon-wrapped hot dogs? I'm wondering why both are listed. If, if bacon-wrapped is on the menu, do you mention the other? That's very important, very important. So we're, we're looking forward to that. So these are catered hot dogs. This is a thing, people. So... Uh, So friends, our series that we are going through this summer is learning to pray like Jesus. And we are unpacking what we commonly call the Lord's Prayer or the Our Father. And if you are familiar with this prayer, uh, probably you know it as a prayer that you recite in church or maybe they recite at funerals, that sort of a thing. But what we sometimes miss is that this prayer is so much more than just a prayer that we recite. This is Jesus' answer to his disciples' question, how do I pray? Jesus, teach me to pray, and this is what he tells them. Now, think about this. If Jesus gave a TED Talk on how to pray, like, would you want to know what he would say, right? I mean, he did. This is it. This is his answer to how can I be a person who prays, and specifically, they're asking, how can we pray the way that you pray? So, Uh, We are unpacking this prayer in seven words. And um, uh, some of you who are are doing the bead thing too, uh, I know some have have gotten this. You can grab one on the tables in the back if you want. Uh, But but this is something I've been carrying for years, and it's just a reminder for me of how to pray the Lord's Prayer. Right? And the, uh, the first word here is the word reflect. First, we reflect. Uh, Our Father in heaven, Jesus says, before we do anything else when we pray, take a minute and just just recognize who it is that you are praying to. Who is this God to whom we are praying? And Jesus says the very best way, his best shorthand to think of all that God is, is to think of him as a really, really good Father. So that's where we start, we reflect. And then second word is worship, and Doug taught on this a couple weeks ago, so Uh, worship, we pray, hallowed be your name. And if if you think about this, kind of logically follows. If we have taken time and we've reflected on who God is, the natural response to that is to worship, is to stand back in awe, right? Have you ever gone to Yosemite? Yosemite, ever been there? You you drive into that valley. You come around that corner and you, you enter the valley and you can't not have your breath be taken away. Jesus says, this is part of prayer too. If you are reflecting on who God is, then worship, hallowing the name. That's that's what comes next. And then third, and this is where we're at today, the third word is surrender. Surrender. And we pray here, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And this is kind of a natural place for prayer to go next to. Because if, if we're reflecting on who God is and we're worshiping him for who he is, then there's going to be a part of us that kind of steps back and re- reminds ourselves, okay, God is God and I am not. 
What's my proper response to that? And the, the way I want to sum it up for us, the word that we're putting on today is the word surrender. And, and friends, this is such an important line in this prayer. And I think it's a part of prayer that we often miss. We often neglect this. But, but praying this, as Jesus teaches us, if we are daily, regularly praying the Lord's Prayer, we're going to be learning over time how to address this fundamental question that we all have to answer. The question is this, will I align myself with God's will or will I demand that God align himself with mine? If we are praying the Lord's Prayer, then every day we are confronting ourselves with this question and we are learning to be people who, like Jesus, live a life that's surrendered to the will of the Father. Well, let's, uh, let's pray the prayer together and then uh, we'll, we'll look a little closer at our text. So uh, pray this with me. Make this your prayer today. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. And Father, to that, we would would add that we want you to meet us here today. We pray that you would fill us with your spirit. We pray that you would meet each of us where we're at. God, those who have walked with you for years, those who maybe are just exploring that, we pray, God, that you would meet us where we're at, that you would draw us one step closer to you. Lord, teach us to be a people who pray and pray well like Jesus. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen. All right, friends, so our text for today is this line, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And what does this mean? Uh, I'm suggesting that the response that it elicits in us is surrender. But what exactly is it that we are praying when we pray this line? What are we praying when we say, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven? And to get at this this morning, I I want us to unpack two of the key terms in this verse, God's kingdom and heaven. And then uh, we'll we'll end with a a couple of... of, uh, Applications in terms of how maybe we can grow in this discipline of surrendering ourselves to God. So, uh, define our terms. First one is kingdom of God. And uh, for our purposes this morning, this is how we will define that. The kingdom of God is the place where the king's will is done. In this case, the king being God. The kingdom of God is the place where the king or where God's will is done. Uh, the The shorthand I like to use for this, the way I think of it in my head, is is the kingdom of God is the place where things happen like they should. It's no surprise to any of us that this world does not function the way that it's meant to function. With sin and death and disease and corruption and all these things, it doesn't function how it should. The kingdom of God has come when we see the world operating in the way that it should. So in in most basic terms, the kingdom, any kingdom, is the place where the king rules. In the ancient world and in ancient Israel in particular, they would pray for this. They would pray for a good king because everything is better in the kingdom 
when there is a good king that is ruling. That king is able to bring order, stability, justice, to create an environment where good people are able to flourish. And by contrast, in the absence of a king or in the presence of a bad king, either one, what do you have then? Right? Essentially, what you have is not a, a place that's ruled by a good king. You have a place that's ruled by bullies. You have a place that's ruled by the strong and the weak just have to try to get by. Right? Think about it this way. Just put ourselves in sort of rural village life in the ancient world, if there is no king, if there is no overarching power, then you go to work, you work hard, you make your money, you do the things, you're trying to raise your family, whatever it is, but the strongest guy in the village at any time can come and take your stuff. Or the strongest gang in the village can come and they can take your stuff. There's no one there to create protection or environment where you're able to flourish. Uh, Those in power might abuse those who are weaker. Women, in particular, were subject to all sorts of horrible things if there was not someone more powerful who could serve as a protector. Uh, The wealthy or the powerful might take advantage of the weak, the poor, immigrants. An invading army might make war against you, kill the men, steal and enslave the women and the children. This is typically what would happen. This, by the way, this isn't theoretical. This isn't idle threats. This is what actually happened in the ancient world, and what still happens in a lot of the world today. So the necessity of having a king, and having a king that is good. You, you read in the Old Testament how life could either be a dream or a nightmare based on the king that's in power at that time. And uh, it's kind of this up and down story, right? Good king, and Israel does great, and bad king, and Israel does awful. And most of the time it was a bad king. Turns out, Most people can't handle power very well. And those who started out by maybe protecting others from oppressors became oppressors themselves. And so the people of Israel would pray and long for a good king. Now, with that, the ultimate prayer that they had was for God himself to be the king. And the prophets talked about this, that this is where things are headed that God's kingdom is going to come. And things are going to be the way that they should be once God himself is on the throne. So think about the way that the Bible describes God. And think about this like in kingly terms. If this is the person who rules the kingdom. Uh, We're told in the Old Testament that God is a God who protects the powerless. We're told over and again that he sees the widow, the orphan, the immigrant, and that he will not forget them. That they are protected. When God is king, they are protected from the powerful who might exploit them. We're told that God is a God who values fairness, honesty in the marketplace, that he protects conditions where every person is able to be safe and to thrive, to enjoy the fruits of their labor. The Old Testament phrase that gets used here a lot is that everyone is able to sit under their own vine and fig tree. Right? It's this picture that you've done the work, and now you get to enjoy the fruits of that work. That doesn't happen outside of a just system. And in the ancient world, it doesn't happen outside the presence of a just and righteous king. We're told this is the God who loves justice. 
the God who insists that the law be applied equally to rich and poor, immigrant and native-born, noble families and commoners. Everyone serves under the same law. There is not one law for them and then one law for these over here. This is a God who loves justice. This is a God who, Jesus tells us, this is a God who loves us not just as subjects of the kingdom, but as sons and daughters. A God who invites us to his table, a God whose relationship with us is personal and not just functional. Right? Do you, you kind of see the picture here? This is what the people of Israel would pray for, that day that would come when God would be king. And how would this happen? Well, the scriptures talked about this too, that God would be king, he would rule through his appointed king, the Messiah or the Christ. And this is why it's so significant. When Jesus comes announcing the kingdom of heaven has come, he comes announcing the kingdom of God has arrived. And whispers start breaking out throughout the land of Israel. Maybe it started. Maybe God's kingdom is finally breaking in. So that's the backdrop. And in the midst of that, Jesus says, when you pray, pray this way. Our Father in heaven, remember who we're praying to. Hallowed be your name. Worship that God because he is good. And then... Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Surrender yourself to the reign of this good God as it comes to us. Now, hold on to that. That's kingdom of God. Now, let's define our other term, heaven. Right? Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And in this one we say, okay, this is easy. I know this one, right? Heaven, that's where God lives. Or that's, that's where, uh, where we go when we die, right? If, and both of these are true. Yes and yes. If your faith is in Christ, that is where you go when you die. And heaven is used to describe the dwelling place of God in Scripture. But it's more also. Heaven is also a description of the place where God's will is done perfectly. Heaven is the ultimate expression of the kingdom of God. When the kingdom is fully come, well, that's what it's going to look like. Earth, at that point, will look like heaven. Now, it's important to note. So, uh, so th- think about it this way. How does the story of the Bible end? Do you know this? If you go to the last two chapters of the book of Revelation, you see how the story ends. It's not just us leaving this earth and going to heaven when we die, right? That's part of the story, and that's a really important part. But it's actually not the last chapter. The story ends with heaven coming to earth. Heaven and all of its occupants coming to earth. And finally, the kingdom has fully come, and Christ has returned, and things on earth are the way that they are meant to be. Finally. Finally, God's will is done on earth as it is in heaven. So what's Jesus asking us to pray here? Right? Think about it. He's asking that we pray that the future breaks into the now. 
He's asking us that even now, as we anticipate the day when God's will will be done perfectly on earth, the way that it's done in heaven, he's praying that that begins to happen now, here, with you and I. That heaven breaks into earth. Uh, let, me, uh, let me give us a, a visual illustration of this with uh, a little, little help from our friends at the Bible Project. Uh, do you guys know Bible Project? Love these people. Check out their YouTube channel. This is what happens when you take a first-rate biblical scholar and pair them with a first-rate illustrator, and then you make cool, doodly things. So go to BibleProject.com. But picture one. Okay. So uh, often we picture heaven and earth as two separate spheres, two different realms of existence, if you will. Now, uh, when you start the Bible... Genesis chapter 1 and 2, you have these two overlapping, right? The Garden of Eden is a picture of heaven and earth fully overlapped, fully united, God's will being done perfectly the way that it is meant to function. Now, all that gets messed up by chapter 3 in the Bible, and sin separates. And so you have these two, these two different spheres. You have heaven which is this place of beauty and goodness and justice and God's presence. And you have earth, which still is, has plenty of good in it, but it's marred. It's stained by sin, injustice, ugliness, right? Uh, let's go to picture two, Mitchell. So when Jesus comes, by his death, we see that he is absorbing the world's sin. And, and not just the sin of, of those individuals who are placing their trust in him, but in a sense, the world is being made better. It's, the kingdom is breaking in because of what Jesus has done. And we see these two worlds begin to overlap, begin to reunite. The goodness of heaven starts to bleed into this world, into the here and now. Uh, the way John puts it in his gospel, he says, light has come into the world and darkness cannot overcome it, right? And we, this is a great analogy because we see this, right? You never walk into a darkened room at night, flip on the light switch, and see light struggling to push out the dark. The dark just goes. It can't overcome it. Once the light is there, it is light. John says this is what happens as the kingdom comes, as Jesus comes and sin begins to be absorbed and you, you begin to have this inbreaking light into the world. Uh, Jesus demonstrates this as we see the blind see, the deaf hear, the lame walk, the good news proclaimed to the poor, all signs that the Old Testament gives that the kingdom is breaking in, that heaven is invading earth. Uh, Narnia fans, anybody? So in, in Narnia speak, this is when spring starts to come and the ice starts to melt. And people start to realize, wait a minute, something's changed. The white witch's power is breaking, and Aslan must be coming. Spring is here. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Are you following? Okay, one more picture. So... At the end, when Christ returns and the kingdom is fully realized, heaven comes to earth, that split will be fully reconciled. These two spheres will be fully overlapping once again. But in the meantime, what do we do? And here's the prayer 
Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. What is it we are praying for? It's not just that we would escape this world well, when we die. Uh, okay, you see the little flying dude? I love that. Uh, flying from one world to the next. N- not just that. That's actually not the focus of the New Testament. The New Testament is remarkably unfocused on what happens after we die. It states it, but the focus really is, is a little bigger than that. The prayer here is that heaven will break into earth. That through his followers, that light will continue to break into the darkness. That earth will have all these little spots of heaven inhabiting it until that time comes when the kingdom has fully come. Heaven has fully come to earth. And so we pray, we pray, Jesus, Jesus, your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Friends, do you realize this is the task of the church? This is the purpose of the church. That that we are to be this little outpost of light and salt in the middle of this world, in this place that God has placed us. You and I, in Torrance and Harbor City and Redondo and Palos Verdes and all these cities right here, that God has placed us here to be salt and light. He has placed us that we might bring little bits of heaven to earth now. What God wants for our world, what God wants is for heaven to keep breaking out little pockets of the kingdom where where justice for all happens, where the poor are lifted up, where mercy is shown to sinners, where kindness is shown to people who aren't part of our tribe, where forgiveness wins and retaliation loses, where men and women and the rich and poor and people of every ethnicity come together as family and they're baptized into the same waters and they worship the same God. This is what it looks like when heaven breaks into earth. Friends, when you pray the Lord's Prayer, that is what we are praying for. God, Make my world look more like heaven. Make this city look more like heaven. Make my workplace look more like heaven. Make my home look more like heaven. Now, still with me? Okay, because this is the part where it starts to get really, really real. So you start praying that, and here's the rub. We start praying this, and pretty soon we realize hey, you know what? If this is going to happen, if, if my little sphere, my little world is going to look more like heaven and less like earth, that means God's going to have to do something in me. This, this prayer, it's going to have to begin in me. If, if my home, think about this, this is very practical. If my home is going to look more like heaven, I'm going to need to look a little more like heaven. If my workplace is going to begin to look more like heaven, my presence there is going to need to bring a little more of heaven. If my city is going to look more like heaven, then then somehow I've got to be part of that. I, as a person who is following Jesus, who, who is a container of his Holy Spirit, who is learning how to live in the way of the rabbi, I need to invite God to do something in me. 
if this place where I'm living out my discipleship to Jesus is going to begin to look more like heaven. And friends, that thing that has to happen in a word is surrender. It's surrender. So Jesus says, when you pray, this is part of what you pray. Every day, you're going to God and realize I'm saying no to self and yes to you because I want heaven to break out wherever I go. Now, if we're being really honest, we'll admit there are many days when we don't actually want that at all. The cost is far too high. Surrender is not nearly enough fun. Uh, How do we get there? Well, obviously, part of it is, is we pray the Lord's Prayer. Jesus is unsurprised that you and I are not yet fully surrendered human beings. And same with his first disciples. He's telling them to pray this because we become what we pray. I guarantee you this. If you are praying this every day, you are, are searching your heart every day, God, help me to surrender to you in all the ways I need to surrender. Then over time, you are going to be a person who has surrendered to Christ. Don't be concerned that you're not fully there yet. The point of us praying is Jesus wants to move us there. Uh, And I want to give us two practices to bring into our prayer life that maybe can help us in this journey. Um, Two things that we can do as, as we pray. So think about these. Bring this into your prayer time with God. Bring it into your praying of the Lord's Prayer. But the first is this. As you pray, learn to replace if with yes. Replace if with yes. Now, the model for me here is Mary, the mother of Jesus. So you remember, if, uh, if you're familiar with the story, you remember the story of the angel visiting Mary and being like, hey, you're going to bear God's son, right? And it's, it's this beautiful story, and we paint pictures of it, and nativity scenes at Christmas, and da-da-da. Angel comes, and he's like, you're going to give birth to a son. That son's going to be the son of God, God's promised Messiah. He's going to save his people from their sins. It's going to be great. But then there's the other part, where he's like, oh, and by the way, uh, you're a virgin, and so this isn't going to play real well with your friends and neighbors. There might be a little misunderstanding about what's going on here. You're going to lose your reputation, your your dignity, and dishonor your entire family in the process. Oh, and by the way, a sword will pierce your soul too. Angel's saying, I'm I'm not going to tell you how yet, but before this is over, the story is going to get really, really painful for you. And here's Mary's answer. Luke 138, I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May it be to me as you have said. May it be to That's a yes. That's a heart that's surrendered to God's will, to God's kingdom, to earth looking more like heaven. Uh, Note here, she doesn't bargain, right? There's There's no, I'll do it if you can give me the following assurances, right? I just need to know. Right? This is, this is what it looks like for us often. I just need to know, God, that I'll be happy, that I won't be poor, that I won't suffer too much. Right? We have our, our list of conditions. God, I'm happy to follow you. 
as long as you can guarantee, and if I could get that in writing, that would be that much better still because, you know, I've got some trust issues. Let's, let's just be sure. For Mary, there's no if. She's received a clear word from God, and her answer is yes. So maybe this is what it looks like for us on a day-to-day basis, people. So you, you're studying the scriptures in your devotions, or you're here on a Sunday, or you're with your small group, and you come up against something in scripture that you don't like, right? And all of us have this happen, probably semi-regularly, right? You come up against something that you don't like, and it brushes up against something that just feels very personal to you. Maybe it's, it's realizing I need to forgive this particular hurt that I'm not really interested in forgiving. Or it, it, uh, it means denying ourselves something that feels like a fundamental need. Or making a choice that we know is going to be a costly choice. And friends, in that moment, when that happens, we've come to a, a decision point. We've come to a place where we need to make a choice. Do I ignore the word I just received and go on my way? Or do I in that moment say to God, yes, and surrender myself to the will of the king for me in that moment? Uh, Pastor Tim Keller puts it this way. He says, when you come to Christ, you must drop your conditions You have to give up the right to say, I will obey you if. I will do this if. As soon as you say, I will obey you if, that is not obedience at all. You are saying, you are my advisor, not my Lord. I will be happy to take your recommendations, and I might even do some of them. No. If you want Jesus with you, you have to give up the right to self-determination. Self-denial is an act of rebellion against our late modern culture of self-assertion. But that is what we're called to, nothing less. Friends, when you and I pray the Lord's Prayer, it gives us the opportunity every day to practice this until it becomes normal and natural, like Jesus, to be confronted with the will of God and to have a heart posture that says, yes, that is what surrender is. Uh, so, replacing if with yes. Second, second practice we can bring into prayer is this. It's replace my plan with your plan. Now, I, I don't know about you, but uh, I, I would say for me, and, and probably for you too, one of the most difficult areas of surrender that we bump up against in life uh, comes from our desire to control our own future, to determine as best we can what it is that comes next for us. And surrender, praying your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. This daily surrender means that we are accepting God's plans for our life and counting those as more important than our own plans for our life. And for me, my best model here is Jesus in the garden. He knows he's about to be arrested, tortured, and die by being nailed to a cross. And this is what he prays. He prays, Father, if you are willing, take this cup from me. 
Yet not my will, but your will be done. Right? That's surrender. That is saying to God, I have a plan, but I trust that your plan is going to actually be better. And that's the core question, isn't it? Do we really believe that God's plan for me is the best plan for me? And I, I think that many times we have to honestly answer that question, no, I don't believe that, which is why I'm doing my own thing and not what God would call me to. Praying the Lord's Prayer, it teaches us to say yes to God's plan and no to our own and to know the difference between the two. That's a process that takes some time and takes walking with Jesus. This is my testimony. Uh, when, when I look back on my life, I can tell you that all of the most important decisions, all of the most critical life junctures for me have involved a strong resistance uh, to the will of God. They all have come at places where I desperately, like a cornered animal, wanted to fight and hold on to my plan as if my very life depended on it. Uh, yet God, his plan has always been better. Right? I think of a, a past dating relationship where, you know, I was, I was convinced this was the one and I needed to hang on to this, but I knew this... This is not a godly relationship at all, and it needs to go. And I fought like a cornered animal against God's will until I finally surrendered to it. But I, I think about that because had I not, I wouldn't have met Samantha. I wouldn't have the wife that I have and that I love. I wouldn't have the children that I have that I love. This was, this was pivotal. This was pivotal. I think about my career I remember so many times vividly praying, God, I will do whatever you want me to do with your life, except be a pastor. <laughs> oh, there's no way. You take too much abuse for too little money. It's like, no, I'm not going to, God, I'm going to be a psychologist. That is my path, and I'm going to drive a nice SUV and wear expensive sweaters. It's going to be terrific. <laughs> God had a different plan. It, it took me a while to surrender to that plan. But I'm so glad. I'm doing exactly what it is that I'm supposed to do. I've had the joy of doing it for a good number of years now. Uh, same thing with moving to Los Angeles. When you, when you grow up in San Diego, you don't really want to move anywhere. But you certainly don't want to move to Los Angeles. Oh, the belly of the beast. You're, you're raised to, to mercilessly mock Los Angeles and everyone who lives there. Why would you move there voluntarily? But God had a beautiful plan for us in that. Uh, planting a church. Uh, there, was a, there was a comfy megachurch career path with a psychologist's salary <laughs> that... Uh, uh, that I'm so thankful we said no to and trusted God in the path that he has had for us. And I, I could go on and on. And I know so many of you could add your stories to this too. But probably more important for us is to think about not even the stories that are behind us, but the stories that are in front of us right now. 
Where are the places in your life where you need to replace your plan with God's plan? Where you need to surrender and say, God, I, I trust you, even though it, it's hard and I can't see where this is going, I trust that your plan will be the best plan. What do you need to surrender to God today? And along with that, are there places where you're holding on to that if? God, I'm happy to follow you as long as you can guarantee me X, Y, and Z. Uh, Friends, can I encourage you today? Drop that if. Let it be yes. God, your Father in heaven, he can be trusted. Surrender to what he has for you. And friends, our practice Becoming people for whom that is normal and natural to say to God, yes, yes. It comes as day in, day out, we pray the Lord's Prayer. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Let's pray together.